Man, oh man, what a blessing we have to open up his word. So, open up to Isaiah chapter 4 <clears throat> this evening <clears throat> as we continue. As we continue along in our Old Testament study. And as we go through our post-exile period, as the Lord has brought back the uh, children of Israel from their captivity. He's bringing them back to the homeland that they grew up in, that they were a part of some of them. Some of them had never seen this homeland. They were coming back and they had heard all the stories of the homeland. And so you can imagine the, the excitement of many of these who are coming back. But, but the miracle of, of it all here is, is the faithfulness of God that we've been uh, seen throughout the book of Isaiah. And I, and I continue to share about this faithfulness because I think it's important for us to understand His faithfulness. He is faithful. He is always faithful. He can never not be faithful. And when we, we look at His faithfulness here is that, again, after allowing His children to be taken captive and being gone for a generation, He's bringing them back to be a nation once again, which is a miracle in and of itself that He would allow that to happen. But it was prophesied. It was already foretold by the prophets of old that this was going to happen. And He gave them a specific timetable and He told them why. And He's bringing them back. Now before we get into Isaiah chapter 4, I need to remind you of some things that we've already covered in the beginning of this book. And I also want to set the stage for this chapter. I think it's important for, for me to be able to do that uh, with you. And, and again, so if you weren't with us in the beginning, um, this will be new to you. If you were with us uh, in the beginning, this will just be a reminder of what this book is kind of all about. But I'm giving you some timetable here because we're getting into this portion of Scripture that if you didn't have this little timetable set up and the set the stage being set, then it, it can get a little confusing. And I'm going to try not to make it confusing. I'm going to try to lay it out and, and see what happens with that. And so the book of Isaiah, as I shared in the beginning as we're opening it up, it's divided in two sections, basically. Chapters 1 through 6... The main character is Zerubbabel, and there's another guy with him. Um, uh, his name is Joshua. They call him Joshua. It's Jeshua, Jeshua, and I keep on getting that. So if, I'm just going to say Joshua, okay, peeps? Are you guys okay with that? If you get, if, again, if you guys are upset, just put the E in there. Say, every time I say Joshua, you say it's Jeshua, whatever. So anyways... So, so it's these two guys, and Zerubbabel more, was more on the civic side of the leaders, and, and Joshua was more on the, on the religious side. He was on the, more on the priesthood side. And so these are the main characters, but Zerubbabel for sure, he is the main character. And, and he covers from the years 538 B.C. to 15 B.C., or uh, not 15, 515 B.C., Zerubbabel, in these six chapters for the most part, he covers 23 years. From the edict that King Cyrus um, of Persia, when, when he told them to go ahead and go rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And so it, there, there's a span of 23 years from that happening. And so from chapters 6 to 7, there is a gap. There's 57 year gap. And it is possible that that is where or, or when the book of Esther was written. And so there's other kings involved in that from the Persian uh, Empire area right there. From chapters 7 to 10, the main character is Ezra. Even though he's the author, he now becomes the main character. And he's not even mentioned until chapter 7. And so he reigns or he's in that arena of chapters 7 to 10 from 458 to 456. Um, and he comes in after the temple is built. And so Zerubbabel is all concerned about the temple being built. 
Ezra, on the other hand, he comes in and now the, the, the city is beginning to, to be built up. And he comes in and he's more of a contemporary with uh, Nehemiah. And so he's, he's involved now that the temple is finished. He comes in and teaches the people how to get back to worship. And so the total of the book of Ezra is about 82 years. And so again, some of you guys are going, okay, we've heard all that. Some of the other people hadn't. So there you go. It's getting set up again here so you understand it. And so even though Ezra is the author of this book, he was only involved for basically two years of this whole thing. And so it could have been the book of Zerubbabel, and there could have been another book the book of Ezra, but it wasn't. During this time, from the beginning to the end of the book of Ezra, we have six Persian kings, Cyrus, Cambyses, Xerdes, um, Darius, Xerxes, and Artis Xerxes. Xerxes. Um, Cambyses and Smerdis are never mentioned in the Bible. They really have nothing to do with anything um, biblical, but they were part of the Persian kings. And between the two, they make up like eight years. The, the second guy, he was in there for only a year, but they make up eight years of this time period. Now, I mentioned that because four of the six kings are mentioned in our chapter tonight. And so I think it's fascinating because there's a long period of time in this chapter. And that's why I mentioned that I have to kind of set the stage here because what we have in Isaiah chapter 4 is a parenthetical chapter, which means that there is a parenthesis in some of this chapter. And because there is a parenthesis here, they could go further in the future because the guy that's writing it doesn't write it until way in the future. And so there's a parenthesis, if you look at your book now, at your Bible, from verse 6 to verse 20, 23. From verse 6 to verse 23 is a parenthesis. And so when we get to that portion, I'll let you know again. We're going to camp out a lot just in the first few chapters. And so there you go. It's kind of set now for, for us. Um, again, um, Isaiah, uh, Ezra being the author, he has the advantage of a, of a parenthesis here. Verses 1 through 5 and verse 24 takes place in the, in the time of Zerubbabel and, and Joshua as they are dealing with and now beginning to rebuild the house of God or the temple of the Lord. Whereas the parentheses that we will be covering deals mainly with the rebuilding of Jerusalem and its walls. And so there's a big, vast difference there. Okay, and so verse 1 of chapter 4 of Ezra. Now, when the adversaries of Joshua of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captive of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord God of Israel, they came to Zerubbabel and to and the heads of the fathers' house houses and said to them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God, as you do, and we have sacrificed to him since the days of Asarhaddon, king of Assyria, who brought us here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the fathers' house, houses of Israel said to them, You may not build, you may not, you may do nothing with us to build the house of our God. But we alone will build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose. All the days of King of Cyrus, king of Persia, 
even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Go over to verse 24. Thus the work of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And so there, I, I, I actually missed one of the other kings. There's five kings that are mentioned here. Um, it's mentioned in verse 2, but he was before the proclamation went out. So just to let you know that. So from verse 1, Ezra chapter 1, or chapter, yeah, from verse, chapter 1, verse 1, when Cyrus the king made this proclamation to build the temple all the way to where our text is today in Ezra chapter 4, verse 5, it is about two years from that time period, from 538 to 536. Verse 24 takes place 16 years later. So now there's this time gap because it was it, from the time that they started to the time it was finished or basically almost finished, it was about 18 years. So they got going with this project and they started with this whole thing and all of a sudden the adversaries come. So you can imagine that in this time frame, they are getting a per- pretty discouraged and some of the people would end up losing heart for the things of God. And we know that from Haggai chapter 1, who was a contemporary here. But by the time that we get to chapter 6, <laughs> they would end up finishing the temple completely. So they, they stopped working for about 16 years. They started back up and they finished the temple at the end of chapter 6, and it took them about five years after they got going, after verse 24. So, there, it's all set up, hopefully, for you. In verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the descendants of the captivity were building the temple of the Lord their God, they came to Zerubbabel and to the fathers there. What we saw last week was that there was shouts of praise. But they were, they were also loud voices of weeping. But the shouts of praise basically were, were over these weeping voices that were going on. As it should be because even though there's sadness. Because we saw that some of the old people were saying. It's just not going to be the same. And they were weeping. But the, but the, the shouting of, of, of praise that was going out. Kind of overshadowed all of that the way it should be. Because again even though there's sadness and stuff that we can go through. Our praises and our worship to the Lord should be even louder than that. I know that sometimes our cries you know, they can be loud and they can just be so, you know, with anguish. But our voices of shouts of worship and praise should be louder than all of those things. You see, last week what we saw was the altar had been set and the foundation for the temple had had been laid. And so now it was time to move forward. To start doing the things of God that they were brought back to do, that they were commanded to do. And so his faithfulness, God's faithfulness has been prominent throughout this whole time. And I've been, I've been kind of sharing that as much as I could because that's what I keep on getting as I'm studying here, that God is faithful. What he has said before, he will do. And so now that they're back, he is faithful. He has prepared everything for them. Even though these old timers were going, it's not going to be the same. He encourages them, as as we saw uh, last week in, in Haggai, challenging these old men and challenging the young men. Hey, stay to the work. Keep the work. Don't give up. You go for it. You do it. And so God's faithfulness is there. And so the door now is wide open for them to begin. So what could possibly go wrong at this time? It's interesting because 
Paul the Apostle who went through so many things throughout his life. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, at the end of 1 Corinthians, he says, For a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. <laughs> so what could possibly go wrong? I don't know. You read a, a, a scripture like that, and you're going, Okay, there's a big door that's open to me, but there's all kinds of adversaries as well. That could put a damper on things. Because you get excited because God has opened the door. And all of a sudden, everything is laid out. His faithfulness is there. You have experienced God's faithfulness. He has led you. He has guided you. You've been seeking His face. He's shown it to you. He's provided everything for you. And then the adversaries come. Adversaries have a tendency of bringing adversity along for the ride. <laughs> Opponents are not happy until there is hardship, difficulties, and hard times at the very same time, you know? Because again, when there's joy that God has opened the door and you start going for it, and all of a sudden the adversaries come in. And it's almost like I think, we often think, well, God has opened the door. There shouldn't be no adversaries in front of us. God has prepared everything for us. But He's never promised to us that it would be easy. He just said, I will get you to that point. I have provided everything necessary. And so you just press in and press on. You know, and you probably will hear that a lot this year. But... You just continue doing what I have called you to do. And so when that door is open, now it's time. You see, the, the, from the very beginning when they started coming back, the remnant that was coming back from Babylon had opposition. They had opposition from the mixed multitudes, or not the mixed multitudes, the mixed population, the mixed people that were now living in the land who really didn't want these Jews to inhabit Jerusalem, much less rebuild their temple. Many of these men, these men and women, these families, these mixed populations, from mainly the northern part, but they had infiltrated the, 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 the southern part as well, when they took the... the, the uh, the southern part, Judah, away, they brought in other people. But the people from the north, those people had been there for almost 200 years now. Since the northern kingdom had been taken away to Assyria. So they've been there for a while. They're pretty chill with their surroundings. They brought all these people in. In the beginning, they've acclimated to that place. They've become like those people there. They're, they're, they're situated. So now the adversities or the adversaries come. And what I find interesting is that the word adversary is a definition for the word Satan. In other words, the name Satan means adversary. The opposer or adversary of God and man. It is his personal, it is a personal name for the devil, Satan. He's an adversary. That's who he is. And so when the work begins, when the doors open, guess who shows up? The adversary. <laughs> and isn't that true in our lives? How many times have you, as a believer, started seeking the Lord and said, I am just going for it. Nothing is going to stop me. <laughs> And, and, and God's going, here, here's the open door for you, bro. Just take it. Just go for it. I got you covered. And man, oh man, does it start getting hard, man. And all of a sudden, man, you're going, it wasn't this hard when I was running hard for the world, was it? But now I want to run hard for God. And all of a sudden, there's adversaries. 
And Satan is, is the prime adversary, right? He is the one that's going, man, you were so chill when you were walking with me over here, when you were doing the things that I wanted you to do. But now you've jumped ship. Now you've gotten jumped out of my little gang. Now you've ranked out, and now you're part of that, that group over there. And so he is the one, oftentimes, that begins to be our adversary from the get-go when we try to go through this open door. And so all of a sudden, the adversaries are there. And these guys, these guys, they come to Zerubbabel and the, the, the heads of the fathers. And they come to him, or, or them, and they say, let us build with you, for we seek your God as you do. And we have sacrificed to him since the day that the king of Assyria brought us here. Notice that these adversaries, they show up not so much as adversaries, <laughs> but as people who just want to kind of come alongside and do the work with those who are already doing the work. In other words, they come in kind of subtle. Hey, we're kind of with you guys here. We were displaced a long time ago, and we've grown up here. I know that you guys are brand new back here. We've heard that this was your land. Hey, you want to build your temple? Let us come alongside and help you build this. Not only are we just that nice and want to help you, <laughs> but we worship the same God. We're just like you. We're displaced just like you. You see, back in chapter 17 of 2 Kings, when the Assyrians had taken the northern kingdom away, <clears throat> they did bring all these people from all these different places and they displaced them there in the northern kingdom. And these people who had gotten there, all of a sudden there's things that are happening, there's lions that are killing them, there's other stuff that's happening to them, and they send back word to the king of Assyria saying, hey, we don't know what this God likes, the God that kind of is over this land. Why don't you send somebody to us so they can teach us, so we can learn the rituals of the God of this land? And this is what it says in 2 Kings 17, 27-29. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there, and let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they were or they should fear the Lord. However, in verse 29, However, every nation continued to make gods to their own, to its own, and put them in the shrines on the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The fascinating part about this is that the northern kingdom had become so corrupt that they had brought in and made their own kings or their own priests, not from the lineage of, of Aaron in any way, shape, or form. But they had made their own priests. And when they were taken away, these guys are going, we don't know what this God wants. So they send a king who had already been corrupt from the first place. But he comes back and says, this is what you're supposed to do. We never did it for a long time, but this is what you're supposed to do to appease the God of Israel here. And so they begin to try and do these same things, but they continue to worship their own gods. So in essence, when they're coming to Zerubbabel now and saying, hey, we want to help you build because we worship the same God you do and a hundred other ones too. <laughs> we worship just about anything. But we have learned how to worship your God as well. At the same time <laughs> that we have worshipped all our other gods. Now these same people that are being spoken of here in the New Testament, these are the ones that are referred to as the Samaritans. 
They become, because they were a mixed people, the Jews considered them half-breeds and they couldn't stand them because they were, they were mixed from all over, all, all over the place. They weren't purebreds like the Jews. So these people that we're looking at here, they're saying, hey, we want to build with you because we seek your God and stuff like that. And you remember when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman and she says stuff about his God. He says, you don't even know what you worship. You don't even know what you worship, man. You guys worship all, your worship is all over the place. But one day you will worship in, in spirit and in truth. But here in our text, they are acting just like the cunning serpent. They are very subtle. They're coming in and saying, hey, why don't you just let us join you? We're not that bad. We worship the same God, don't we? <laughs> Everybody worships God, a God. And so it, it, it's all good, isn't it? And it's almost as if they're trying to weasel their way in so that they can try to do the work of God with these people, but only really in reality to destroy it, just like the enemy. To weasel his way in to our lives and have us compromise in such a way that all of a sudden we're like veering off where we used to be on the straight and narrow. And all of a sudden we're going, gosh, I just let this influence and this influence come in. And, and all of a sudden, man, there's so many things in my life. And it happens in the church when all of a sudden we're, you know, there's people that's like, well, doesn't everybody worship the same God? It's like, no, they don't. And again, this is why it's so important for us to know what the Word of God says, to know the truth that when a lie comes in, we could see it for what it is and, and kind of separate ourselves from that. Here these guys are trying to join them, and these guys are going, hey, we want to help because we worship just like you do. They're introduced to us as adversaries. And again, I know that, I, that Ezra has the advantage of writing about it much later, so he understands what was going on and what was happening. But it could be that they really came off that way to the remnant when they got there, that they were adversaries against them. And so when they did show up and pretending to play nice, all of a sudden they're going, no, you can't build with us. We don't need your help. That, that, that is such boldness on the part of Zerubbabel. Such leadership. Understanding that not everybody worships the same way. And just because they say that they are just like you doesn't mean they are just like you. And guys, do not be deceived. <laughs> not everybody that calls themselves a brother or a sister are a brother or a sister. You know, when we look at other churches, it's like, well, they're really nice, you know. We should, we should join with them. It's like, no, we can't. There's a lot of things that we cannot. Again, there's certain things, there's certain places that we just put a border and say, no, you cannot join us in this because you don't worship our God. And I think everybody, again, man, everybody wants to sing Kumbaya with one another, right? And I understand that everybody should all get along. But man, oh man, you stay true to what the Word of God says. And I'll give you just one scripture that you just stay true to and see what happens when other people are going, we worship just like you, that you would say, is Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Lord? Is He the way, the truth, and the life? And no one comes to the Father but by Him. Stick to that verse alone and just learn it and understand it that there is no other way to heaven but through Jesus Christ. And you'll see who starts rising there, who, who begins to ad, uh, br bring adversity against you because all of a sudden you're not playing nice because now you're saying it's only Jesus and that's it. But he says to them, you shall not build with us. What I found fascinating is that last week when we're looking at this, that they had actually hired people from Tyre and Sidon to help with the materials and that they were also paying them 
for, for their masonry and their carpentry work. And they, they were, these guys were full-on heathens. And yet they hired these guys to come in and help them build and provide for them, however it was. But they hired them in. And I'm thinking, man, that is kind of interesting. These guys are saying, no, we're, we're a lot closer to you than those heathens are. It's like, I'd rather hire those heathens than you guys. <laughs> I just find it fascinating. They must have seen right through these guys. As much as these guys wanted to look like sheep, their paws and their canines were so obvious, and they're going, no, you're dangerous. At least we know where these heathens are coming from, and we're not going to be influenced by them. But they're very good carpenters. (laughs) (laughs) Their masonry work is amazing. And we're paying them for that. But you're trying to sneak in. And there's, there's a different agenda about these guys. It seemed like they were safer. And there was no guesswork with these full-on heathens. This enemy, he was trying to come in with sheep's clothing. And yet he was a ravenous wolf. And that's how, how they were coming in. These guys were, were trying to come in as, uh, as, as it says in uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, And no wonder Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing that his ministers should transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end is, uh, will be according to their works. And so these guys, it seemed like they saw right through him and says, You're not going to help. And so then... Because that didn't work. In verse 4 it says, And the people of the land tried to discourage the people of Judah. They troubled them in building. So when subtly, being subtle didn't work, (laughs) they go after them harder. And if they couldn't, if they can't encourage them to allow them to come in, they were going to discourage them. And in essence, weaken their hands in the work it says that they came in to discourage them and to tr- and they troubled them the word tr- troubled means to terrify tremble alarm to to hasten uh, a- anxiety anxiously to make afraid and so these guys because they didn't allow them to come in in a subtle way now they're they're showing their true colors and now they're troubling these people and what they wanted to do I don't know how they were making it hard for them, but they were trying to make it hard for them to continue in the building. What they were trying to do was intimidate them in a way that they would paralyze the work. And when that didn't work, they hired counselors. In other words, to frustrate their purpose, in other words, they hired the lawyers and they got the county involved. And you know, man, that the devil's in the, in the details when the county's involved and stops a building project. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like, they're the devil. I just know that. I'm kidding. Okay, maybe I'm not all that much. But, but again, they, that's what these guys were doing. It's like subtleties didn't work. Here, let me, let me intimidate these guys to stop the work. Well, if that doesn't work, then we'll make it harder on them and we'll frustrate the work. We'll frustrate it because we'll hire people to come against them to where it's going to cost them dearly to finish this work. So they frustrate these guys. These adversaries did everything possible to bog down the work. But we are never told that the king told the people, the children of Israel, to stop the work. We're we're never told that. The adversaries were so relentless in what they were doing that in verse 24, it tells us, thus the work of the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, ceased. And it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius king of Persia. The Lord never told them to stop. 
through God's faithfulness. He had prophesied through Isaiah, who prophesied 150 years earlier from, from when Cyrus was even uh, made the proclamation that the man Cyrus would proclaim this and that the work would begin. And so God's faithfulness was there. And so he never said, hey, but if it gets too tough, just take a break. Just stop the work if it gets too hard. He never said that. His faithfulness would have been there for them. He never told them to cease in the work. The door was open. Again, the Lord never told them, hey, it's going to be an easy peasy kind of job, man. It's going to be so cush. You just show up. It's going to get done. He never told them that. They never were promised that there would never be adversity or adversaries. He never told them that that wouldn't happen. And in this situation, there was no way that Satan could close the door if God had opened the door for them to rebuild the temple. There was no way Satan could close this door because he does not have the power to do that. And yet the work ceases, and these guys give up, and for 16 years it lays waste. The work stops. Let me read to you what Haggai chapter 1 says. Because this is what happened when the work stopped over there. All of a sudden they started doing what they, they thought they should be doing for themselves. Again, the Lord, the Lord was in this whole thing. And they thought that the Lord had closed the door and he hadn't. The, the adversary, the enemy, could not close the door either. He wasn't able to. But it says in verse 3 of Haggai chapter 1, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? And this temple is, li- is laid in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you do not f- are not filled with drink. You clothe yourself, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may have pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house, that it is in ruins while everyone of you runs to his own house. Therefore, the heaven, the heavens above will withhold the dew and the earth uh, withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the, and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth and of men and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. You see, God was not happy with this. He was not happy that all of a sudden the work ceased because he didn't call for the work to cease. It wasn't time for the work to cease. You see, the enemy will do anything to hinder the work of the Lord, but he cannot stop it. And we learn this back in Matthew when he says about the church that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And so he is serious when he says, go for it, press in and press on. And when the adversaries come, you just keep on going. And when when all these oppositions come, you just keep on going. He never tells us to stop. Satan cannot stop the work of God. If the Lord has opened the door, no man can shut it. No man. Satan can only impede, obstruct, and block the work. But he cannot stop it or bring it to an end. And I know that some people, but he can delay it. It's like, why? Why, 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 why would Satan have that power to delay it? Well, because he's impeded my, my progress. What? The word impede means to step in front of. So if he steps in front of you, what do you do? Can't do it. 
There's Satan right there, man. I can't do a thing because Satan is standing right there. It's like, well, why don't you just draw close to God, rebuke the, the enemy, and, and, go, and move forward? Because that's what he has told us to do. But all of a sudden, we end up looking at this and we're going, well, we can't continue in the work. It's, he's made it hard. He's brought in the lawyers. He's brought in the county to, to stop the work. It's like, just keep on chugging along. Doesn't matter what they do. God's hand is upon you. If he has opened the door, then he can change the, the, the king's heart just like he changes the rivers. He is able to do that. It doesn't matter. You see, oftentimes, and I think here, because of all the adversity and all the adversaries coming against Zerubbabel and Joshua, they allowed the enemy to have the victory. And I find it fascinating because I've looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 many a times when Paul, the Apostle Paul, says, But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in present, not in heart, endeavoring more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. And I've looked at that and I'm going, that word hindered means to impede, to obstruct and to block. It's not a block wall. It's not a closed door. An obstacle is something that you can get around, you can go over, you can push out of the way, you can do whatever. It's, it's only an obstacle. And I think oftentimes we see the obstacle and we think, oh, it must be a closed door from the Lord. All the while you know that God has opened the door for you. And this is what's happening in our text. That the, the work of the Lord ceased because these guys saw the, the, this adversary that was blocking their way, that put obstacles and impeded their, their forward motion that they just stopped. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that it is easy, nor am I saying that that we don't often give up in the fight because I think sometimes we do and I think we do it too easily. And that is precisely what the enemy of God and our souls intends to do all the time. He always does. And if we don't recognize it for what it is, then we stop moving, we become paralyzed. And all the while it's going, God's going, I didn't shut no door. The door's wide open. And I'm not saying that we should never have defeats or that we will never have defeats. But if the Lord has opened the door, no man can shut it. And if the Lord shuts the door, no man can open it. So what are you convinced about? Has God opened a door for you? Are you going to get tired and weary when the adversary puts impediments in front of you, obstacles, and go, must not be what God wanted me to do. It's like, really, you gave up that easy. The Word of God says that we have power over that. He's always looking around, looking who he may devour. And I think oftentimes we just lay down dead and he's like, I guess I can't move because he's out there ready to devour. It's like, go for it. He's not going to take you out. He can't. He can't touch you. And so again, I look at this and going, the work ceased not because God told them to cease. And it laid in ruin, and he came back to them through Haggai and says, why are you guys dwelling in your paneled houses? Isn't it time to go fix the, the house of the Lord? Isn't that what I commanded you to go do? Why are you sitting comfortably in your house? And you're doing it all for nothing because you're not gaining a thing. Why? Because they were in disobedience. In verse 6 here, it says, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. So now here in verse 6, this opposition here that we see this name Ahasuerus, he is the, the king that is best known for the book of Esther, or in the book of Esther. He is the king that calls Esther in and becomes, you know, she becomes her, 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 his wife. That's Ahasuerus. But he's also known as Xerxes. And Xerxes, he, he ruled from 485 uh, B.C. to 465 
465 BC. And, and here, uh, um, Ezra, he records um, something that, that happened, that there was an accusation that was, that was brought up apparently against the, the, the children of Israel to keep them from the building project. He is now talking about the walls. He's not talking about the temple no more. This is a different time period. Here's our parentheses right here in chapter 6. And so the, this, whatever this, this accusation was, uh, it's never mentioned exactly what it was, but here is the beginning of what the letter will look like that they're going to write to another king, Artaxerxes. Now, it's interesting because what came to mind as we look at this word accusations, there was an accusation uh, written against the inhabitants of Judah and, 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 uh, and Jerusalem. Um, it brought to mind the accuser of the brethren which is the devil, and the word devil means accuser. And he has not changed, not one bit. He continues to be an accuser of the brethren. And so here we see that in the work of building the, the wall and rebuilding Jerusalem, that an accusation comes. And so in verse 7, now we're going to move on here. It says, in the days of Artaxerxes, also Bishlam, Bethardeth, uh, Talbal, and the Teobel, um, and the rest of their companions wrote to Artaxerxes, Artis king of Persia. And the letter was written in Aramaic script and translated into Aramaic language. Rehum, the commander, and Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes in this fashion. From Raham and Shimshai, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their com companions, um, all these guys from these places, verse 10, and the rest of the nations whom, uh, whom the great and noble O Snapper um, took, took captive and settled in the cities of Samaria and the remainder beyond the river so, and so forth. Verse 11, this is the copy of the letter that was sent to King Artaxerxes from your servants, the men of the region beyond the river and so forth. Let it be known to you, to the king, that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem and are building uh, and re the rebellious and evil city. And are finishing its walls and repairing the foundations. Let it be known to the king that if this city is built and the walls completed, they will pay no tax, tribute, or custom, and the king's treasury will be diminished. Now because of now because we received support from the palace, it was not to prosper it was not proper for us to see the king's dishonor. Therefore, we have sent and informed the king that, that search may be made in the, record, in the book of the records of your fathers, and you will find in the book of the records and know that this city is a rebellious city, harmful to kings and provinces, and that they have incited sedition within the city in former times of which cause the city was destroyed. We inform the king that if this city was rebu is rebuilt and its walls are completed, the result will be that you will have no dominion beyond the river. And so these guys are accusing this, the, the, the children of Israel as they are rebuilding and they're coming and they're saying, you don't understand, king. These guys, if they get going here, if they finish off, man, you are going to, you know, they're not going to pay taxes. They're not going to honor you. They're going to become, they're going to secede from you and they're going to become their own nation. And they will. And, and they, these guys had, at times past, had already been a city and stuff and a nation. And so what they were saying is true. But they're scaring the king to say, hey, you've got to put a stop to this king. 
And again, isn't that amazing that these guys are accusing just like the enemy. He is the accuser of the brethren. And the things that you want to go do, God, he will go before God and say, did you see what so-and-so is doing? And you know, God, that if they get any foothold, they're not going to serve you no more. They're not going to be faithful to you. And so, again, he, this, these accusations are coming. And verse 17 says, And the king answered to Rahum and Shimshai, Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of the companions who dwell in Samaria, and to the remainder beyond the sea, peace and so forth. The letter which you sent to us has been clearly read before me and I gave the command and a search has been made and it was found that the, this city in former times had revolted against kings and rebellion and sedition have been fostered in it. They, there have also been mighty kings over uh, Jerusalem who have ruled over all the region beyond the river and tax tribute and customs were paid to them. Now give the command to make these men cease, that this city may not be built until the command is given by me. Take heed now that they do not fail to do this. They should damage, why should damage increase to the hurt of the kings? Now when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rahim and Shimshai, whatever his name is, the, the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem against the Jews and by force of arms made them cease. And so it succeeded that again, these guys were stopping the work that would be happening years after Darius the king. Now it's interesting because King uh, Artaxerxes as he is putting a, a stop to this work right now, he will be the same king that in a few years later will give Nehemiah the command to go back and rebuild the, 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 the walls of, of Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem. And so at this time, he is being persuaded by these accusers to stop the work. And he commands, them, <clears throat> he commands the work to be stopped. And so it won't be until after Ezra comes on the scene years later that the work will continue to go, to move forward. But for right now, and again, I guess tonight what I've kind of shared with you is that, again, the spiritual warfare is for real. When you begin to start building and rebuilding in your lives to start following the Lord, adversaries will come, accusers will come, because that is what Satan does. He is the accuser of the brethren, and he is our adversary. Amen? So stand fast and do not fail. Or, I don't know. Let's just pray. <laughs> Father in heaven, thank you so much for tonight, Lord God. Even as we got through this chapter, Lord God, we do pray for boldness and direction. Lord, the things that you have already spoken to us about, Lord God, as your people, that we would stand firm that we, we would be immovable, that even as, as, as the enemy comes against us like a flood, Lord God, we would be able to stand. That, Lord, daily, Lord God, we would put on the armor of God that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Father, we thank you and praise you that you've given us the authority and you've given us the power. Lord, you've given us the conviction to move forward, Lord. Father, your word tells us that if we draw near to you, if we resist the devil, he has to flee from us, Lord. And Father, when there's obstacles in our way, that God, we would not let those things stop us if you have called us to move forward. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.